0: Hey there, and welcome to Marketing in the Raw. That's the podcast, and I'm the host, Adam Hellway. It's my goal to expand how you define the practice of marketing and your vision of where it's headed, especially in a digitally connected world. Hey, today we get to talk with the super smart Omnichannel expert himself, Naz Urbina. Naz is a content and customer experience consultant and co-founder of the conference Omnichannel X, where experts on content design governance and systems share the key elements that make or break Omnichannel success. In this episode, he debunks myths about Omnichannel marketing and communication. We talk about how the pandemic has altered the customer journey and the role that content plays in creating a successful Omnichannel customer experience. Take a deep breath and let's dive into the Omnichannel experience with Naz Urbina. Naz, so good to see you. Uh, I love when I think that I've seen and met somebody in person. And we were just talking about this just before starting the podcast. And then you're like, no, I wasn't at that event. And I wasn't at that event. And I I know I thought that we had met in person, but it's so glad to meet you at least face to face virtually. Now Uh, we have some circles that intertwine in the content industry. And I thought for sure I had met you at one of those events, but it's just one of those familiar faces, I guess, that you have, huh?
1: Yeah, I get a, I do get around, and uh, I I find you know people I I I, I know a lot of people, um, and I, I think that's been uh, a virtue of how I kind of got into this. I got into this really young, like when I was straight out of straight out of university, um, and I've just been bouncing around the content world for two decades now. So I just you know uh, people people know me, I know them. They, they think that they know me just because I'm just kind of this presence in the background <laughs> of the community.
0: Well, and that that that's a great segue, even though it wasn't meant to be. I, I want to hear a little bit about how you got started in the content uh, world.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. So my I got like several versions of this, depending on how much time you want to spend on it. But I uh, I came into this kind of really by accident. I happened to want to get it want to get a job. Uh, it was a summer gig. And I applied for something because uh, somebody in my family was working for this company and we were, I, I got this short little gig for a company called Soft Quad. Uh, this is, this is you know, around 2000. And That sounds like what
0: happens to me after leg day at the gym, by the way.
1: Soft quad, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Soft quad. So, um, they, they were a very cool company. Uh, this was like you know I joined when they were like a hundred people, and and I and when uh, when we got acquired, I think we were two hundred people, something like that. And uh, this was one of the first uh, visual structured semantic authoring tools in the world. Uh, so and I you know I think one of the best. Um, you know this there's there's like half a dozen now. Uh, but it, back then, the idea of authoring single uh, source omni-channel content that was going to be reusable and machine-readable and exchangeable, system to system, filterable for different audiences like that was just like mind-blowing, uh, cutting-edge stuff twenty years ago. And that's where I you know I showed up, I rocked up at a university and said, hey, um, I'm, I'm here to join the team. And so I just happened to. By luck, end up on the very bleeding edge of content, and in a small company where I got to meet everybody. You know, I got to meet the the head of uh, product management. I got to meet the head of development. I have got to meet the you know, the head of heads of sales and strategy. And so, I just by hitting the first job lottery, uh, I I got deeply into the into this this world. And so that company started sho- shopping me around to all the conferences to do presentations and so I got on the speaking circuit and so I was like I remember I remember the time I was in my early 20s no I was in my late 20s and I I I looked down maybe early 30s and I looked down a panel of experts and it was the first time I wasn't the youngest person on a panel of experts and I was like (laughs) who invited that kid (laughs) (laughs) well and
0: there's really interesting things that I picked up from from your story which was that um, you, you there were a number of circumstances that helped sort of feed where you went and where you are today. Um, one of them being that rather than being say siloed into specifically a content team or a, a one of the content teams within the organization, you had exposure and maybe even collaborated more closely and could hear the needs of other areas of the business. it sounded like.
1: Yeah, so that we had we offered something that was for anybody who wanted to create. Uh, content as a business asset. So content that wasn't, you know, just a document or just a web page. It was something that you were going to invest in and manage and repurpose and uh, have an inventory. And so the, the, what we talk about content strategies with having an inventory and assessing your content's uh, uh, value and, and maintaining it like a business asset That's where I started. Um, And so anybody who wanted to do that, whether they were in training or creating proposals or marketing content, product descriptions, technical documentation, uh, and any any industry, like government, military, uh, medical devices, high tech, all over the place. Well,
0: uh, what you are talking about now, sort of fast forward to, uh, to more recent times here, um, you, you're talking a lot and you run a conference that we'll talk about in a little bit uh, around omni-channel. Let's, mm-hmm. let's peel this back a little bit. Our audience tends to be on the marketing side, uh, marketing mm-hmm. decision makers and, and practitioners. So uh, what is omni-channel and how is it usually
1: confused with multi-channel? ha. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's probably my favorite topic, of course. So OmniChannel is using your channels in collaboration with each other. So the difference between uh omnichannel and, and multi-channel is that omnichannel is a unification of engagement and communication strategies so that they're complementing each other. So you want to give the audience what they really need. So you in omnichannel, you orchestrate experience across multiple touch points. And then you're aligning content, design, governance, and systems around the customer journey, around what what they're doing. Multi-channel is your business capacity to publish on multiple channels. So I can put this. I can have. A, I have kind of have this. Uh, not necessarily a dashboard, but I have this ability to take a piece of content, put it out on uh, on social, on internet, extranet, um, and print, and blam. So I have a multi-channel publishing architecture omni is when you're looking at that from the customer's perspective and saying well how does this all work out to create experiences for people and how how does someone move from social to uh to that to owned to you know behind a login wall? you're looking at those processes from the customer's point of view across all the touch points as opposed and- to for and example. they'd
0: have, and they would have different needs across each of those touch points. So, but but looking at them as part of a cohesive strategy, um, so that you know that they, you you know when and where they are a part of that customer journey or that experience for um, for the customer, and and taking that into account versus what you were talking about, just publishing like the same content across multiple channels, uh, and and not having any regard for how they interact with each other or, or, um, have meaning within the customer journey.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think that the most, most organizations I still go into look at content through a paper tube They they are, they're, they're, you know, they're optimizing their social engagement. They're optimizing their web analytics. They're optimizing, uh, well, I don't know how much people optimize print, but they're trying to get their print as best they can. And then they have an events marketing team. So. We are specifically doing something, and and then at the end of that, we all talk about being customer centric. And I'm like, and I'm like, how do you say all that and not hear the contradiction? Like, how how do you focus all of your investment into channel optimization when human beings don't operate on single channels? You don't have, you do not have like your web customers and your social media customers. You have customers, you have or your partners or whatever it is, whomever you're serving constituents or the public if you're in government and they move across all of these touch points and they want to have a relationship with you so let's optimize for that
0: so what is the most common myth about omni-channel marketing and communication that you you'd like to debunk here and now
1: oh so uh so many first of all that it is the same as multi-channel um and i think for me i have a bugbear about it's uh, it being about a particular industry, like retail, for example. So uh, mm. what, what often happens is that a term gets associated with its first high profile application. So content strategy gets merged with content marketing because everyone content marketing is a huge thing. Um, content marketers want to be strategic. So content strategy, content marketing, content marketing strategy just becomes one thing because it's the highest profile example, or personalization gets a bad name because people hate those ads that follow them around the web and they hate kind of creepy emails where people are doing, you know, silly stuff to the, 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 the abuse data and relationships. Uh, so for Omnichannel, this kind of thing where it's all about retail or even it's all about marketing or pre-sales, I should say, um, uh, yeah. So that's my my concern is when people take something as broad as omnichannel and then put it put it back in a box and say this is omnichannel is it's owned by the marketing department or omnichannel is owned by pre-sales.
0: And what what I'm hearing you what I'm hearing the subtext of all this is that wherever the customer experience is is where omni channel can be.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So you're you're you are specifically trying when you go omni channel to get away from how do I in marketing publish my content, to how do I, as someone who works for this brand, contribute to a better relationship through better experiences. I I find
0: it interesting also that you noted about sort of how certain industries and uh, even disciplines uh, may be an area where a term tends to latch on to most because it's a place that seems to be, I don't know, more applicable initially and, and, and it's adopted more quickly in that particular area. Finding the same thing, for instance, with the term performance marketing, um, performance marketing is being used a lot in sort of e-commerce and areas where paid advertising and direct response uh, pl- uh, plays a, a big part, uh, but actually applies to uh, all, all manners of, of, of marketing in a number of places where rather than, uh, just simply brand reach and so, so on performance actually matters and connecting it to business results actually matters. So it, it I found, I, w- I was thinking of all of the times that I had seen, um, it, w- what seems to be the regurgitated definition of performance marketing, leaning heavily on the e-commerce side and that being, um, very narrow. And I imagine you run into the same thing sometimes when you see uh, content or people speaking about things and, and narrowing down the definition of Omnichannel and really missing the opportunity to apply it to just like we said, any place where,
1: where we're in, engaging with a customer where a
0: customer would find value engaging with a brand.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and actually e-commerce is probably right down like number two after retail as, as the thing people think Omnichannel is about uh, Omnichannel retailing omnichannel e-commerce. So they think about, uh, Amazon or they think about, you know, a lot of the big brands they know that they see on lots of channels, uh, doing retail and they, or e-commerce and they think that's, that, that's it. So
0: what's changed uh, about the way that customers and businesses interact to create a need for omnichannel, for the omnichannel approach?
1: Channel proliferation. That's it. You know, we always had multiple channels. You've always had training, sales, marketing, uh, support, technical documentation. We've had those for decades. But then we're also doing all those things multiplied by uh, phones, tablets, chatbots, uh, desktops, uh, print, events, um, content marketing, product marketing. So the, the, the number of ways that we offer up our, uh, our content has exploded in the past 20 years. And so much of the business has simply moved into a content centric mode. I I think this is like 20, 15 years ago, I remember Hewlett Packard calculating that 80% of that business happened without any physical contact with the product. So what does that mean? That means 80% of a multi-billion dollar uh, enterprise is saying all of our sales come from content because Somebody is doing is delivering a presentation or uh, looking at a website or reading a brochure. That's what's making the sale. And it's not like a salesperson on the phone. It is, And it's not a customer going and touching the product. It's some sort of at a distance, self-education, content-based um, transaction. And that applies to all kinds of businesses. They're moving more and more and more to customers self-educating. And so the, the importance of content at Omnichannel just has, has shot up in the past 20 years.
0: It's it's funny because just this morning I was thinking about it a bit um, where who would have thought that in the in the in in a time we call the information age, that content, aka information would play such an important role in helping people not only just solve problems on a day to day, but find products and services that they're interested in purchasing, right? um what what uh, yeah i'm sure you've heard the statistic in the past and i can't remember if it was from content marketing institute or where it was it's been years around you know 75 i've heard it sometimes 90% of the customer journey is usually uh sort of been been traveled or, or completed before somebody ever raises their hand before a potential customer ever raises their hand and says yep i'd like to talk to sales or they just yeah. I mean, they've made themselves known in some way to the business uh, have you heard anything maybe more recent or is there any information that you could riff off of there that um sort of explains because you started you inferred this in a lot of what you just talked about in regards to the to the role that 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 content is playing in this self-directed journey that folks are, are, are having how much of that journey uh, tends to make its uh, how much of of, of that journey tends to be traveled do you think or do you know of before uh, customers then m- give an opportunity for an average brand who maybe hasn't created any content to be a part to be a part of that earlier uh, part of the journey or to get into the conversation earlier um,
1: how much of that's been traveled do you know of? I don't, uh, I, you know, I've heard the same statistics, you know, I I was very interested in solution selling and challenge selling where you're, you're assuming that the customers more or less got their mind made up when you first get to speak to them. So I, I, you know, as, as a, as someone who works in content, as someone who works in marketing, I'm, but, but from an omni-channel perspective, I'm very interested in what is on the cutting edge of sales technique, customer engagement techniques, because they are always adapting how they sell to the market reality, which is becoming more content-driven. I, percentage, I can't I can't talk to that one now. I've heard the same stats as you, that it's, you know, we're talking 60, 70, 75 plus percent. Which is a lot, period, no matter what. Exactly, and I, I don't, you know, if that's gonna keep moving. It's not a stat I get to, once it's gone past the halfway point, I'm I'm no longer really tracking it, but but what you what it raises for me is a very important issue is that it's not necessarily an omni-channel thing, but it is a bugbear for me as a content strategist and content designer that we keep talking in that way about uh, customers and prospects as if they are two different things, and it that, that we we market so hard. To get new names uh, onto the list and often at the detriment, detriment of our of our customers. And so someone who's looks at customer journeys, I'm not looking just at the at the sales cycle. I'm not looking at, at the, the marketing funnel where where you come to get someone and either they've made a sale or you've just, in an enterprise, for example, just thrown them over the wall to sales, and then your job as a marketer is done. I don't think that is a, is a modern approach to what we do. We have to be looking at that and going, all right, well, how does marketing make sure that sales isn't dropping the ball, that that support or technical documentation isn't screwing up all the investment we just made? So you have to, as a marketer, as anyone responsible for brand, how the brand is perceived, it, it is you know part of your responsibility, I think, to be looking at how do these people how do we continue to communicate with these people post-sale as customers? How do we build relationships over time? And how do we make sure that we're you know uh, streaming new people in, in, a, in an inviting way, but then keeping that going on an ongoing basis?
0: People are dynamic human beings, right? Uh, and so uh, I, I love that. I want to know do you how has the pandemic affected the customer journey have you have you seen the need to adapt in some way over the last 6 months and 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 do you see that as uh, i mean we we won't quite know for some time i think but what what part of that that you might uh, bring up do you feel will stick around
1: so the 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 name of the game right now it, it first of all, the pandemic is only supercharged things that are already happening. So I don't think there are any new changes in as much as the change is an acceleration of trends that we were already seeing. And the trend that I think is most relevant to the pandemic and what's been happening in it is it has accelerated what I call the trust collapse. Mm. Um, the What's happened is that we've had a, for decades our relationship with authority and with uh content has been changing and i've been i've been tracking this for like almost my whole career watching it in different from different perspectives and even hearing like school teachers talk about how jesus you know 10 years ago i used to say something and my kids would, would say okay and write and take notes and now i make us i make a i try to teach them something and they're either going how do you know that or like have you verified that? Or I just Google this web page that disagrees with you. And this kind of like constant uh, reaction against any kind of authoritative sources. And that has, and that has been exacerbated, of course, by the pandemic, because every, everybody's reliant on somebody who isn't us to provide us essential, life-altering, highly emotional content in a consistent, clear way. And they haven't been able to because it's, you know, the information's moving too fast. The situation is too too much in flux. You know, some governments willfully didn't care to try to create a single cohesive message or, or consistent strategy, I'm not naming any names. But uh, the the point is all societies now been suddenly thrown into overdrive of this uh, questioning of of. of, of of content and authority and uh, of, can I trust this? Is this stable? Can I plan based on this? And so content is very, very emotional. Um, there's, there's an interesting, uh, I, I think I'd have to get her name. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Gina Ballarin who I, I interviewed on my podcast and she's the one who first told me that we have this perception that for example, um, B2C commerce is more emotional, you know, like celebrity endorsements, pretty colors, all that stuff. Whereas B2B commerce is more facts and figures and dry. It's all, you know, it's just a very rational process. And and she's the first one who said, no, the research does not bear that out because if you're spending uh, a million or $5 million of your company's money, or even a hundred thousand, depending on the scale of your business, uh, if it's a huge investment for you, you're very emotional about not getting it wrong. You know, so when we talk about these people are 70% down the the decision-making path based on content, if they feel that the content isn't trustworthy, they don't feel that this company is consistent across all channels, across their whole uh, journey with them so far, then there's this kind of, you know, trust collapse and that, that, the sensitivity to that, I think, is what COVID has is, is, is drawn up. We're all more aware and even more sensitive. You know, this this company is not presenting their messaging consistently. I, I, I don't like it. I don't I don't feel good. I want to go on to the next one. Because if I don't want to lose my job, if I blow two million bucks of the company's money on the wrong decision.
0: That's sort of an extension of something I heard recently. And it was a reminder of what I was experiencing early in the pandemic, which is that um, there's sort of come a reckoning with. Uh, businesses as as sort of you know entities and individual people um, evaluating everything in their life in a way that says what's really important right now is 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 joe who works over here um still somebody that, um, I want to put up with this crap when, when right now we need to figure out how to cut our budgets. Um, is, uh, is this, is this business, you know, product solution, something that I'm still willing to only use 20% of, uh, and, 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 and pay the full amount at the moment. Is this something where I need to figure out an alternative or say bye-bye to it for now? What kind of relationship do I have with that company that would, uh, uh keep me from, from putting them on the chopping block right now. So people are being much more, um, I don't know if the discerning is the word about, about the type of, uh, about the things in their lives and, and cutting back um, on the things that they feel are a bit wasteful or, or matter a lot less.
1: Ruthless prioritization.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, so, and so- I think
1: if you wanna survive that prioritization triage, you know, it's, it's relationships, that will keep it alive and you don't build relationships on a website or on social. You build them through your collective experience through all your touch points.
0: Well, and arguably, I think to, to a point of what you've said as well, you, you don't, you don't um, build relationships on being self-centered right around what the brand needs only and not taking any consideration what the customer needs. That that's a, that's a recipe for, for disaster in this situation.
1: There's a great, great quote by uh, Ryan Skinner from Forrester, who is their lead on the channel marketing analyst. Uh, who is an awesome guy? he's and he's been on the podcast. He's been at the conference at the omnichannel X Conference. And uh, he said that omnichannel flips the script from what the brand wants to say in the channel uh, to what the customer wants to see it do in the in the channel.
0: what is um, what's one way you change the way that marketers create and use content?
1: Uh, I I'm a big fan of the content design movement. Uh, so I, like most of, most of my work is focused, like I, I, lead, I lead teams, I lead projects to make this kind of, these kind of transformative changes, which is a big deal. People are not used to thinking this way. And the, the areas that I focus on are customer journey mapping and content design and modeling, which is uh, thinking about content. If you come back to what I was saying earlier, at the beginning of my career, is the is what I'm trying to accomplish here the deliverable or the asset. So that's for me it's the big mind sh- mind shift for marketers, especially marketers who work with agencies and outsource a lot of their a lot of their stuff where they're basically they've got a budget and it's a pay for play thing. I give you I give you 10 grand, you give me a PDF. I give you 50 grand, you run me a, this little campaign. I give you a half a million, you run this big campaign and it's just a constant like a bill like the water bill. And it's, it's money goes out, deliverables come back. And even internally, it's this kind of thing where I've got the team and we're just trying to get the, get the brochure out, get the app launched, get the campaign, whatever. And there's no long-term thinking about what are we creating here? What are we building? We have a content repository, we have a content management system, but it's all this linear gotta get it out the door as opposed to looking at it cyclically and going, well, if I'm investing here, what are my assets that I can repurpose later? How can I, how, what am I building and can I treat this whole thing like a design exercise? What do people want? What are the requirements? What are they trying to accomplish? And therefore let me focus on the content, which is going to help most.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Let's talk about customer experience a little bit more here. Um, So Brands often say that they're focused on being customer relationships, relationship centric already. But what do you say to that? You, you've again, you've alluded a bit to this, but I want to peel that back a little bit more.
1: What do I say? I say that most organizations say it a lot, but then do very little about it. Uh, but there's, you know, I, I'm being hard on brands here, you know, and I, I like my customers <laughs> I, I like uh i like working in this industry and one of the reasons i'm it's so difficult is not because people don't want to be customer second trick, but the the enterprise as we know it today is built wrong it's built for uh isolated systems where you know like a conveyor belt thing where i can i can i can build the widget you can market the widget you can support the widget Etc. We don't actually have to interact. Uh, is that a safety as as,
0: mechanism, you think? I mean what, what do you just, no, I what think, are your
1: go ahead. I think it's, I think it's uh, the legacy structure of companies that were built for manufacturing things to companies that now the, va- the, 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 the most valuable resource in the world now is data. and data is the product of relationships. Data is relationships uh, measured and quantified. So the the most powerful thing in the world is data. That's what all the the, the biggest brands and the fastest growing brands, that's what they're all about, is their collection and usage and leverage of data. But we come from a world where the most important thing was things, making a thing. What if it was a banana or whether it was a a battleship, your brand was about shipping an object. And that change from uh, moving towards content and data as the and the relationship as the core of the business uh the, the enterprise was built for shipping stuff physical stuff so enterprises are built in departments and departments have hierarchies and we give departmental KPIs like we we tell the social team this is your social team's goals and we hope maybe that those are somehow aligning with the support team and the documentation team and the sales team but most of the time, it's very, very, very rudimentary. In fact, they're often fighting each other for budget as opposed to saying, and, and for example, Cisco does this, <laughs> um, I have a very good relationship with the people who speak at the conference. So I, it's not like I only quote people <laughs> who speak at my conference, but Cisco also said at the conference uh, that they are doing persona based uh, budgets. So they're, they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to say this segment is worth this amount of money as opposed mm. to this channel is worth this amount of money. So they say, okay, what are we going to do for this kind of audience uh, to make their, their lives better with the available budget we have? And then, then that supports a more cross-disciplinary approach as opposed to saying, okay, you social team, you have this much money and you uh, events marketing team, you have this much money and do your best. That also it.
0: allows uh, allows for a level of adaptability and flexibility within the year. You're 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 focused on doing what's right for that community of stakeholders, that segment, that audience segment, as you described, right? And uh, versus uh, whether a particular channel uh, performs well or not, or potentially has some other changes, or other another channel ends up popping up at some point in time. You know, opportunities pop up here and there, and uh, if you don't have the flexibility, then that plan or that budget kind of doesn't go out the window, but you definitely run into some challenges now trying to figure out how to adapt. That makes it much more adaptable. I think.
1: Absolutely. And you, you mentioned performance marketing and it raises an interesting question. How are we measuring performance? You know, what is the point? Why do we run? So we did this bunch of social stuff and we increased engagement. You know, can I take a bunch of engagement and put a down payment on a house? No. Uh, So clicks and likes, they're there, we take metrics like that, even on the general web as as somehow a business metric when they're not, business metrics are, did I help my customer closer to you know giving me some more money? Like that's the end of the day. We're all trying to move the customer, hopefully in a win-win mutually beneficial kind of way. But yeah. that's, you know, we're in a business. So did the customer move forward in their journey You know, which involves eventually giving me some money, Uh, not did the customer watch my videos? That's not a measure of anything. So when we talk about performance, uh, but we fund it on a departmental or channel base, we're again, we're we're working at cross purposes with ourselves.
0: What was uh, what are some of the most common hurdles um, that get in the way of creating an omni channel customer experience like for for the average business out there?
1: Yeah. So I'm listening to myself and I'm thinking your half your audience is probably going, oh, okay, well, well, we could never do this at our brand. (laughs) It's just no way because, you know, uh, that's just, you know, culturally, departmentally, budget wise. I, although I'm saying that the big problem here is the big picture, there are things that you can do to move towards only channel. Without destroying the company and building back up again, that's uh, all, the structure uh, of the
0: company is 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 bad yeah. and people. Da, da, da. No, no, I, I get it. But yeah, let's—it's awesome that you, we're going in the direction of what we can do. So let's let's yes. let's keep going. Cool.
1: Exactly. So, uh, what, what are the biggest hurdles? So the biggest hurdle is the, you know, I've already outlined the biggest hurdles. The hurdles that we can, uh, we can address is we can rethink what a content asset is. We can look at our content, not as a series deliverables, but as, as, as knowledge essentially. And look, at, you know we all become knowledge managers as marketers. And we say, okay, what do we know that adds value to the customer experience and how do we manage the answers to their questions? Th- that's an attitude shift and then it becomes a content design and content model shift where, where instead of saying, I want you to build me a white paper and a, and a brochure and a, and a web landing page and a blah, you say, I wanna address these questions and this is the amount of depth I wanna address them in. And this is the amount of depth I want you to, to address them in on social. And then if they want more, they can go over to our landing page. And if they want more depth, they can download a white paper, but you are creating a thread Throughout that, which is a human being wants to know how they can do something, even if that's you know even if you're selling entertainment, I want to know how I can spend the next half an hour, and you know am I going to watch your video that I saw linked from a tweet or am I going to watch somebody else's? So it, it can be multi-million-dollar medical device or it could be uh, just how am I going to while away my my free time? But I as a person have a question and I'm trying to address it, and you as a brand have to help me answer it.
0: Yeah, it's an easy initial, I'll say it's an easy initial step, but it's an accomplishable, it's achievable initial step uh, yeah. that we find that we're we're also doing, we're also trying to help our, our clients with uh, with the creation of the content. And like you said, not just being a straight deliverable, uh, we've got all these assets and then content um content i would say content marketing maybe as a whole but the act of, of producing of, of of the content function within the organization it feels like it's always chasing its tail by creating more and more content net new content versus actually spending more time looking at how the content that they're creating can actually be like you said repurposed into other form factors and and be made appropriate or is appropriate when it's already initially um Conceived and ultimately produced uh, to be uh, multi-purpose and multi-channel in a better way.
1: Can I can I add something to that question before? I think because I think I, I'm missing out something really important, which is what's the biggest hurdle that can be addressed, which is it, it, perceiving the problem. It, you know, a lot of organizations go, "Am I bad at omnichannel? Like they know they're not actually. Sh- sh- they don't see what the signs are of a poor omni-channel experience, and they don't under, understand how their current deliverables are maybe not a good idea. So get, I want to give some concrete examples. So I'm working with uh, a bank, and they are creating these uh, these they're not, they're, not, they're not I see I'm calling them knowledge-based articles, but they're not knowledge-based articles. They call them the journal or the the journal or the blog or whatever. They're creating content pieces, and they're very focused on the piece. You know, what's the piece gonna be? And the piece is gonna to be uh, top tips for families on vacations. And then the other one's gonna to be uh, top tips for millennials, blah, blah, blah. And so they're creating these different pieces. And then I, I just walk in and I go, okay, well, over here on the families one, you've got uh, uh, the, all, the, all these tips. And the first one is actually for millennials, which some of them have families, but maybe we should start there. And then over here on the travel guide, you mention if if you're traveling with your family, all of you need uh, in each one of you needs an individual European health card. This is a European bank. And I'm like, that should really be in the family's guide. But because you created that piece on that, you know, that day with that outsource agency, that or or internal, it doesn't matter. And then you created this other piece six months later, there's no connection. Like you have no idea what you've said collectively across all of your pieces. So we have to break the pieces down smaller and say, I, I, I use the Lego metaphor a lot. And I say, stop shipping handcrafted um, wooden wooden carvings uh, and boats and, and cars and stuff, and break it down like Lego and say, okay, these pieces are good for families and travel. These pieces are good for um, millennials and, and travel. These good are for millennials, millennials everywhere. You start doing these Venn diagrams and organizing your, your, your sub pieces, and then you can put them back together in all the different ways that you want. You're, and, you're matching the
0: knowledge that you spoke about with the, the audience segment there. Um, exactly.
1: Rather than this big whole piece, which is seven tips that are the seven tips that I came up with this month. And then I just published that. And then I create another seven tips another audience because that's what we're talking about three months later and it's this only forward-looking kind of a uh, perspective
0: i love that well i want to make sure that we get to the fact that you run an omni-channel conference uh, yes. and so how did you get started with that and what can we expect from 2021 because I, I, I hear that we will be having one in 2021 Absolutely,
1: yeah. So we just launched the call for speakers. Um, that's gonna be open, uh, you know, you'd think I would know this off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, until December 18th, 2020. Uh, so people have a, have a while to get their their submissions in, but uh, you know, I'm interested in receiving, if anybody wants to contact us, of course, contact us at any time with your, with your fantastic on a channel story. But uh, yeah, so we've, this is gonna be our third year. Our first year was physical. In, in in Europe in Amsterdam, and then the second year was this year, and we were one of the first conferences that had to pivot to online mm. because of COVID, and that was crazy, but it went really well. You know, we've had uh, an array of global brands: uh, Google, Cisco, IBM, Eli Lilly, Forrester, uh, um, Facebook. I could go on and on. I'm really proud of the uh, the, the speakers we've had, um, and then individual thought leaders like Margaret Bloomstein and Lisa Welchman, and and um, I'll uh, oh, start. Don't have her last name, but uh, Sarah from Content Design London, who founded the Content Design movement. Um, so uh, the the I think that a lot of the power and we we're talking about the beginning of this. How is this? How, how did I get into this? And and what my career has been like? A lot of the, the success of the conference has been about the fact that I kind of know everybody. And so um, when, when we launched, we were able to get right out of the gate, all these fantastic speakers who really knew about where we were going, not where we are, but where we need to go and how to get there. Um, And we created a really, like people were super excited. It was really amazing. People are going, I'm going to all these other conferences, trying to piece the picture together. And now I can go to a conference where we're actually talking about the whole thing as a marketer, as a UX person, as whatever.
0: That's awesome. And so where, where can people find out about the conference?
1: So Omnichannel X is the name of the conference and it's Omnichannel X dot digital. Dot digital. Uh, dot digital, Omnichannel X dot digital. And uh, yeah, so we're going to have one. It's going to be in June uh, 8th to 11th this year. It's going to be online again because you know, we don't know what's happening with the travel situation. Uh, and uh, yeah, so registration hasn't opened yet. And just the call for speakers. So speakers should start uh, appearing on the on the web probably around February, and uh, we're gonna have workshops. It's gonna be uh, three days uh, pre conference workshops, and then um, and then the conference days. Some some live and interactive, some on demand. Uh, lots of discussion opportunities. Uh, I think it's gonna be really great.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I was it was happy to see that you you had it. Uh, it was not long ago that that you put up that you guys had. The the event happening and that you had the call for speakers and that's always good to see that that's still going. uh, Strong for folks uh, even with what we're we dealt with here in in 2020 with physical events, so I have one final question, this is, this is the you know going to put you on the spot man, this is the big question of the of the interview I personally really enjoy. um, uh, understanding where names come from and people like a uh, century uh, like ancestry and pe- cultures and all that sort of stuff tell me about the name nas urbani i've i've been trying i think i did a little bit of a search for the last name and and it, i don't know if it was correct at all it said something about it being italian
1: but i, I have a feeling i might be wrong yeah it's urbina um uh, ah. so it is italian by uh, eventual roots so Urbina, Urbino in Italy in the north is where Michelangelo is from if I'm not mistaken so that's and so my on my father's side my roots are Italian and then it all just goes crazy like so I've got some 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 French some indigenous Peruvian uh, like the, the people who are the descendants of the Incas. Um, both of my parents are Peruvian, um, I, and uh, I, so I've, I've kind of uh, come from a very mixed background. And I was born in Canada, so that's uh, that's it. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it is a unique name. I'm very happy to be uh, so easily Googleable. Well, yes. People have to friendless. make sure
0: that they don't, you know, considering that you've got the Omni Channel X conference, you know, your name is spelled N O Z. You're not correct. little Nas X, N O S, right? It's not the multi-channel X thing going on little Nas X. This is
1: N O Z. That's N O Z. That's correct. Yes. Nazarbina. Um yeah, no, it's 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 fun. It does it does uh does keep people guessing.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. Thanks for um Entertaining the question, uh, so where can people find out about you more online, Nas, and and follow what you're up to?
1: Well, um so we've got our consulting.com of course, uh, and uh, I, it's it's funny because Scott recently did a little oh sorry Scott Abel who mm, I, yep I, I don't know if we mentioned actually on the podcast, but we both it's both been a long time contact of both of ours. Scott Abel did a little, little write up on us recently. Because he noticed our, um, our About You page. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been, there for, it's been there since the site's been launched. But uh, it just got, he just did this write-up. And, so, and then it got written up again in the Content Marketing Institute. Uh, so ArbinaConsulting.com is the main place. And, and About You is where you can find out about whether uh, you're the kind of organization that we tend to work with. Because you know, we're consultants. So we could do an About Us. But that's not really why you're there, is it? <laughs> it's fine about, about whether you're a good match for us. Uh, so you've being consulting.com. Uh, I love when people reach out on LinkedIn, um, and, uh, and then the Omni channel X podcast and blog is, you know, I do the interviews like you do here. I do the interviews on the podcast there. Uh, and, uh, that's probably more than more Nas than anyone can, can wrap their head around. Nas, Nas
0: here everywhere. They're, that's awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate, um, you know, uh, that you joined me here on, on the podcast and, uh, what you shared was 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 really great um, I love to hear that and I think that the the work that you're doing is important um, in 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 so many ways because I think when there's a win-win situation like what you described it's super. Uh, it's, it's super important and it's it benefits everybody um in business you know when when it's a win-win both for the business and customer that is the best kind of business um when, when all the humans win on all sides of the equation uh i hope to talk with you maybe after you have your conference uh next year and uh, that you'll be back i would love it
1: yeah thank you so much for having me adam
0: thank you Hey, thank you so much for listening to Marketing in the Raw. We love, we love, we love that you spent time with us. There's so many other podcasts out there and things to do in general, and you spent it with us. If there was one favor that I could ask of you, it would be that you subscribe to this podcast. And if you've already done that, then if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it wherever you download it and subscribe to it. That would be incredible, incredible. It helps other folks find the show. And uh, lastly, if you've done both of those things already, if you could share this episode with somebody that would find it useful, the topics in this uh, would help them out. It would uh, make their day. It would pique their interest, something like that. It would be awesome if you could go ahead and share this with them. And uh, last but not least, if you just want to connect, you have questions about anything in the show, you want to send me an interview, uh, potential person to talk to or idea, uh, or uh, you want to talk about digital marketing, go ahead and email me at adam at secretsushi.com or just visit secretsushi.com. Until next time, thank you. Take care.